biggest challenge for most sports uh, in the country is the lack of infrastructure and facilities to be and possibly people might not be very happy with me saying this but there would be is making sporting facilities multi sport so right now what happens if there's a facility for cricket it is only used for cricket even though it might be just used for a handful of days in a year the rest of the days it's just locked up and kept because no no other sport is allowed to use, use it and that's i think uh, again relating back to our previous answer is let's look at the practices of the the west and uh, the other countries where one sporting facility is used for multi multiple sports and that is i think a, a recipe for success so yeah so open up facilities let it be used 365 days a year let other sports have a go at it as well so that definitely would be i think one step closer to uh, achieving our vision of being a sporting nation Hey listeners, he is called as the El Nino of the Indian rugby. It's my honor and privilege to have the former India captain and current CEO of Rugby India, Nasir Hussain. Nasir, thank you for joining me on Inspire Someone today. Thank you, Shikant. It's a pleasure to be here. Wonderful. So, Nasir, I'll start off with this very interesting fact of yours. Your first India cap was at the Asia Cup. and your dad was the captain of the indian rugby team in many ways i feel the dream of playing for the country the dream of uh, playing in india colors runs in the family so walk us to this what is nasir's uh, back story and how did this all happen well i was obviously come from a sporting family uh, like you mentioned dad was involved in in rugby and prior to that on multiple sports so uh, i think he boxed uh, back in school and then obviously was exposed to other team sports and then eventually uh took up to rugby yeah while i was at school i was obviously encouraged to to partake in 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 all sporting activities uh, i played football for my school played a bit of cricket uh and was part of uh, the track and field teams and things like that i first started playing rugby uh, straight after my 10th standard final exam uh, i remember i finished the exam in the afternoon and that that evening itself i was dragged to the the training field i wasn't very happy about it uh, cuz like everyone else you had finished your icse <laughs> exams and you wanted to uh, do everything else besides get into a sort of a, a formal structured uh, sort of program Regime. yeah so yeah so i mean that's how i got uh, exposed uh, to rugby at the age of 15 uh, i played for my club uh, bombikim khana and uh, at uh, when i was uh, just about 18 is when the first indian team uh, was uh, meant to participate in the uh, asian rugby championship and there were selections and i was uh, lucky enough to make the training camp and then eventually make the team yeah it was very special obviously first indian team to wear represent the country to wear the indian jersey i uh, was double special because i was playing alongside uh, my father and who happened to be the captain on the team and i was the youngest player so there was a memory that i will cherish absolutely couldn't have asked for that kind of a start isn't it yeah it was it was special on all counts absolutely so tell us about the experiences one is you had such a wonderful start alongside with your dad then you went on to lead india as captain of the indian rugby team so what happens at the highest level nazir does it come with lot of uh, pressure stress 
fun. So walk us through the experience of uh, at the highest level representing the country and ha- like you said, uh, wearing the Indian jersey. Uh, I mean, every sort of outing donning the India colors is uh, is a memory and is, is special. Obviously, over the years, I grew older, uh, got a bit more wiser, I would think, and uh, uh, eventually was looked at as somebody who could help uh, lead the team. And I was uh, pretty honored. I think in 2004 is when uh, was the first time I was named captain. And uh, I mean, there were a fair few senior players on that team, and, uh, and it was it was good to have them there who'd help me uh, through that journey as well. But yeah, I think what comes not just as a captain, but also just as a player representing your country, there's a lot of responsibility that comes uh, along with it. And uh, with that comes obviously pressure and sort of anxiety and uh, the need to perform. There's so a lot of emotions that an athlete needs to deal with, I think, uh, representing the country. And this would be across all sports. Uh, yeah, so that's, uh, I think, something that uh, one, it, it's hard to to be prepared for something like that. Uh, it, it is something that you learn as you go along and you get better at it. And uh, I think I did reasonably well, to be fair. That's very modest of you. And did your education background in any which ways help you to play some of these roles, uh, Nasir? And you had a very unique uh, qualification also, right? So you did, you went on to do your uh, Masters in uh, sports management in London. So through playing sport, uh, I've had multiple opportunities. Uh, and I think that's uh, the beauty of sport uh, that you get not only to see the world uh, if you are traveling uh, with teams, uh, also experience different cultures, meet new people. And on one of these sort of tours, I had the opportunity of, uh, I mean, our team was playing in the UK. We played a few clubs there. And there, there happened to be a few of the coaches around who were looking at potential players who could come play for their club. And uh, I was approached and I had the chance of going to play for a club in the UK in 2003. I played a couple of seasons and while I was there, I was always passionate about sport and wanted to uh, look at ways of furthering my career in sport, not just from a playing point of view. And that's when I started looking at universities in the UK uh, that were offering uh, degrees in sport. Uh, and this is all postgraduate uh, master's degrees. And uh, and that's when I decided that I want to be doing sports management and uh, pursue that sort of space. Uh, mixed reactions, to be honest, in terms of my choice of uh, career in terms of sport. Back in that, that time, there was sport wasn't looked upon as it is now. It wasn't looked at as a career option, especially from an academic point of view. So there were a lot of people who said, are you sure you want to be doing sports management? You could do an MBA, you could do XYZ. And I don't know, I just wanted to do something in sport. And um, I'm glad I took that uh, leap into uh, the sporting sort of uh, academic front. And yeah, I did my master's in sports management uh, in the northeast of England, actually, in Newcastle. And uh, that's where I played uh, for my club as well. And yeah, I think the experiences I've had in terms of both from a playing point of view as well as from the education and the academic side, it has definitely helped and aided to the years that followed and also in, in my current role uh, as CEO of Rugby India. No, wonderful. One of the pieces that I've kind of figured out with you is you're not afraid of breaking the barriers, be it taking a line of discipline that not many would signing up for your uh, MBA in uh, sports, 
or picking up a sport in a country like India where by default the number one sport that everybody thinks of is cricket but you have chosen the different path of uh, rugby and we heard about you as a player as a captain of uh, what you have been able to kind of accomplish on the field off the field you are doing something uh, unique and something worthwhile for rugby to have its uh, bigger presence in india so walk us through the ceo nasir hussain and uh, what's the goal and vision of uh, rugby in india i i mean i'll start by saying that a lot of it is driven by passion and i would encourage everyone to follow their dreams and passion and not uh, give up on it it's not going to be easy there are a lot of people who are going to persuade you to do differently uh, but if you believe in what you want to do and you truly want to be doing that uh, definitely give it a shot i mean i'm i'm grateful that i did and my uh, family and uh, close friends supported me in doing that it is yeah it is there's no easy path every decision you make will have sort of challenges there that and obstacles that you need to overcome with rugby uh, in particular it is not a very well known sport even today it's not the most popular uh, there's a lack of awareness what we've done over the last 10 15 years has tried to spread the game across the country so currently so back in the day when when i played uh, or started playing there were a handful of clubs predominantly bombay delhi calcutta bangalore chennai were the centers that played today we're proud to say that the sport is across 25 states uh, actively being played by men women boys and girls of various age groups uh, so yeah so that's a huge uh, sort of shift from when i began the sport women's rugby i think is the biggest feather in our hat in terms of uh, them being involved in a contact sport especially in a country like india Uh, and a contact team sport for that matter they only began in 2009 so it's only but 12 years old in terms of women's rugby and i think they've come a long way it is and i probably say this out loud it's probably one of the fastest growing women's sports in the country uh, women's rugby and of late now you're hearing a lot about women's cricket and women's hockey but women's rugby has been in the news from way longer individual athletes in in the in the women's uh, category have been obviously been there all along but in terms of team sports for women there hasn't been that much sort of opportunity provided to them uh, and that's changing now and it's fantastic to see but yeah so the sports co- come a long way there's loads happening in terms of uh, grassroots programs we're part of the school games federation of india for the under 14 under 17 under 19 age categories for both boys and girls part of the university games part of the kelo india university games Yeah, so I think we've kind of ticked most of the boxes uh, in terms of ensuring that we have a wide reach, a strong foundation uh, to build from. And I think now is the time where our focus is slightly shifting towards uh, high-performance teams and uh, uh, national representative uh, players, so that hopefully they can uh, perform better on the international front. Wonderful. So as CEO, your focus is on. expanding the reach creating awareness get it at the grassroots and the early signs that you have had with the women's rugby team is nothing short of outstanding stuff i happened to see the recent news article that the under 18 girls i think uh, they won the silver medal in the under 18 world cup is that right well it the asian under 18 championship under 18 asian championship the uh, the girls uh, did exceptionally well they were up against pretty high ranked teams the likes of UAE and Kazakhstan and we managed to beat Kazakhstan in the semi final and lost 
very closely to UAE uh, in the final. But yeah, I mean, it's uh, I think it just shows that there is potential, there is talent, and hopefully, uh, if we continue in, in this in this sort of direction, uh, the future is pretty bright for for the sport. Excellent. So, Nazi, in the role that you are in, what gives you sleepless nights? Well, I think uh, I've had a lot of sleepless nights, and I don't see that changing in the near future. It's good sleepless nights uh, at present, where it's anxiety of how the girls will play uh, in tomorrow's games. I mean, the weekend of the under-18s, I think a lot of us, uh, uh, I mean, the staff and the board members, and I think a lot of the, the fraternity were very nervous as to how uh, the girls would do, especially because... Uh, we've not had much rugby in the last uh, 18 months uh, because of the pandemic. So we didn't know what to expect from uh, these girls when they came into training camps. Uh, we didn't know how they would do because uh, we're not aware of our playing abilities and what the opposition is going to look like because uh, nobody's really played uh, in the last two years. So I think things like that uh, give us sleepless nights. And also, I think in terms of just there's so much potential and... Uh, and I'm sure this is with, with other sports as well. But, uh, unfortunately, the, the sport, uh, that we require comes, uh, not so easily, if I may put it in a nice way. <laughs> but yeah, it is, uh, and we're seeing a sort of a, uh, a shift in trend, uh, within India, becoming more sporting, looking at other sports, uh, besides the most prominent ones. That's a positive we can take out of. And again, for the benefit of all the listeners, if you were to kind of decipher the sport in layman terms, so the notion is that, okay, it is for very hugely built kind of a person. That's what we kind of get to see when we see the rugby teams outside of India. And from what I have picked up, this is a game where you kind of pass backwards, but run forwards. So all of it kind of makes it a bit uh, difficult to understand. So what would be your quick decipheration of, okay, this is how the game is. I mean, you've uh, rightly said that it is uh, not an easy game to understand. A couple of formats of the sport. Uh, there's the 15 aside format, which I would say is equivalent to test cricket. Uh, and then you have the sevens format, uh, which is like 2020. Sevens, rugby sevens is a sport that's played at the Olympics, Commonwealth Games, Asian Games, all multi-sport events. Uh, it's a much uh, shorter, faster, exciting version of the sport. and it's much easier to understand. So if there was anybody who was keen to understand and follow rugby, I'd say watch rugby sevens first. It basically is seven minutes and seven players on the field from each team. Uh, so each half is seven minutes. So it's short, it's fast, it's exciting. And you won't uh, get a massive sort of pile up like you would get in rugby 15s with 15 players uh, on each side. Yeah, so it is a sport, I think, What's different about rugby as compared to most sports is that you can only pass backwards, uh, but you need to get to the other side and score. Uh, and that sort of law in itself ensures that it is a team sport. Uh, it's very difficult to be a superstar in rugby and be an individual and, and win games. So yeah, so that's, uh, I think, uh, what's unique. It, it, it takes a little to, to get the hang of it, uh, in terms of you can only pass forward, but uh, pass backwards, but run forward. But yeah, once you, you, you get that, I think it, it makes things much easier to understand. Wonderful. I think you have definitely kindled that interest. I'm uh, hopeful that few out of the listeners will definitely go out and start playing the 7s, if not the 15s. I hope so. 
So Nazir, we started off with your backstory to your stint with the Indian team. Now you're uh, playing a role as the CEO of uh, Rugby India. And I see quite a lot of parallels between what one gets to do on the corporate side to what's being done today at uh, Rugby India. As an example, right, you feel that you have a product that is great for the market, but you don't know whether it will uh, make it or not. So you kind of start off with a most viable concept and then translate it to a great product. And Rugby is no different where we are today. Like I started off in my initial uh, call out is in a country where it's dominated by one sport, you're kind of trying to make a difference by bringing in rugby. So what has been the thinking behind the scenes to make this a great product? How do you kind of think through saying, okay, this is where we are. This is what we need to be doing to get to the point that you want to. I think uh, you can uh, draw a lot of parallels between growing a sport and in business, like trying to promote a product. And it would be the same. There will always be competition. Uh, I don't think there'd be any single product or sort of area that one would get into where nobody else is. So there's always going to be competition. There's always going to be people who want established in that space. Uh, and you're going to up, be up against uh, those sort of challenges. Uh, the easiest thing to do is say, hey, it's not going to happen and uh, just not do it. And that would probably be the worst thing to do as well. Coming back to rugby, what we as a board and as a federation looked at our strengths and our weaknesses uh, and try to just focus on that. Uh, what are our strengths and how do we take that out uh, into the market, uh, so to say? And in terms of the strengths, what are the things that we can do to mitigate it uh, in terms of making it less uh, a weakness uh, for us? Uh, so, yeah, so, so I think uh, things are like, I think as, as a simple example would be the first thing when we would go to a school or to any sort of entity to, to, to start off rugby. They'd be like, oh, it's a contact sport. Uh, players are going to get hurt and get injured. And a uh, fair comment. I mean, we obviously struggled with that for a bit. And then we went back to the drawing board and were like, uh, what can we do uh, to take, to change that perception? And that's when we thought and we said, let's go out with non-contact rugby, uh, which is touch rugby. And we went out to schools and we said, we're, we're here from the Rugby Federation. We want to introduce these sports. First thing they said was, Oh, it's a, we're worried about injuries. And we're like, it's non-contact rugby. We're looking at touch rugby, the risk of injury is as close to zero, uh, because there's no contact element in it, but it still follows every single aspect of the sport in terms of passing backwards, moving forward, teamwork, everything else would be the same, except we pulled out the uh, contact element out of it. I mean, it was an easy sell, uh, and for them to, to accept it. And what happened was that was a great sort of inroad uh, to get our grassroots program going. And what happened is after sort of period of time of running this, it was the kids. And especially in this day and age uh, where uh, you have so much access to, to the Internet and to uh, information that they went in and started Googling and looking at YouTubes and things like that. Like, oh, what we play is not the same as this. Can we do a tackle? Can we do a scrum? Can we do a line out? And it was the kids that came back to us saying that we want to be playing this version of rugby now. And it was easy for us to then progress from non-contact to contact. And I mean, to be fair, uh, when I started playing, we started with non-contact rugby as well. So I think our approach in the start was probably wrong where 
we tried to go straight with contact rugby, but the gradual progression was start off, get them to like the game, and then they will want to pursue it and uh, advance uh, forward. So it, it it was things like that, little sort of tweaks and changes that uh, I think made the biggest difference. Wonderful. In itself, there is a great lesson of change management. Is don't force the change. Just go with what you have, and then get people to kind of accept it, embrace it, for you to kind of move on to the next leg of the change. Beautiful. Yeah, it's, it's. I think it's all about uh, thinking out of the box, and that would be, like I said, in any field that you are in, be it uh, business or sport uh, or profession that you're after. If you just think outside the box, there are ways, there are ideas which will get you to that outcome that you want. And one other piece that drew my attention was uh, this audacious goal that Rugby India has in terms of uh, LA 2028, uh, where uh, you want Rugby India to make a mark there. My question there on is the importance of long-term goal setting. How do you go about drawing milestones? What do you kind of call out as short-term destinations to long-term destinations? It's important to to have goals and uh, sort of uh, have a vision. And it's important to have both short-term as well as long-term uh, sort of goals and uh, uh, milestones. In terms of vision for LA 2028, it is to qualify to that Olympics or come as close to qualifying to that Olympics. And it, I think if we don't set ourselves a target, uh, we're never going to get there or never even going to get half uh, the way to there. I think that's important, again, from any sort of aspect you look at, be it growing the game or sort of uh, training and education or from a high performance point of view. In terms of uh, the long-term vision is, yes, uh, 2028 uh, Olympics. Uh, and then we've kind of charted out uh, various milestones uh, on the road to uh, LA 2028. We've got uh, the Asian Games, we've got the Asian Championships, you've got uh, Commonwealth Games, you've got uh, qualifiers. So all of those, uh, every single year with one or two of them, is what uh, we've sort of earmarked as uh, benchmarks where we can uh, assess our sort of progress. Uh, and if we meet those sort of uh, targets that we put out for ourselves, we're well on our way uh, to qualifying or to getting close to qualifying uh, for the uh, ultimate uh, event. Okay, so we are traversing the path of the connect between corporate and sports. A couple of things where we touched upon was taking a minimum viable concept to a great product, talking about long-term goal settings, how do you chunk it down to milestones, course corrections, things like that. One other piece that comes to the mind, uh, Nasir, while we do this, and you are the best person to kind of respond to this, is what kind of training or mindset change one would need to have when we are playing multiple roles? You have been an administrator now, you have been a captain. So you have played kind of multiple roles. Do you train yourself to think, act differently when you are wearing these multiple hats? A lot of it, uh, as time goes on, you gain that sort of uh, experience. But yeah, I mean, right at the start, it's trying to do the best you can in that given uh, sort of role. I think what now uh, the challenge sort of I would face is uh, to wear the right hat in terms of what uh, you're doing because the times where you find yourself as a player, the find as an official, 
or as an administrator or someone uh, sort of governing the sport. So yeah, it, it are multiple hats that you need to juggle and uh, wear the right one at the at the given uh, moment. Also, I think uh, uh, what's important is to be able to make uh, decisions which you think in the interest of uh, the situation and obviously correct decisions uh, would obviously be the best thing to do. But yeah, I mean, one learns a lot from the stuff that you've done and you hopefully don't make those same mistakes again. And yeah, I mean, like they say, failure is a stepping stone to success. Yeah, you learn from what uh, mistakes you've made unknowingly, hopefully, and uh, don't repeat them again. And that's an excellent call out. Get to know where the right hat. Don't make the same mistakes twice and learn some uh, past experiences. And uh, talking about experiences, uh, Nazir, how open are sports to share lessons learned, share experiences from other sports? For example, while you're trying to establish rugby in a big way in India, there has been successful leagues like the Pro Kabaddi League, the Volleyball League or even the Cricket League. Are, are there platforms, instances where you go out and say, okay, what can we learn from each other? And the reason I ask is, is I can drop parallel stories in the corporate world, right? We tend to kind of boil the ocean, reinvent the wheel, but there might be a solution happening the next team in the next building, things like that. So what can you share from that perspective? I think it's, it's very, very important. And to be honest, I don't think it happens too frequently or, or as much as it should. It is important to learn from each other, to share experiences, uh, to share best practices. Because, I mean, at least in, in a similar sort of environment that you're in, we're all in the same boat. And it's just a case of one boat's way ahead and one's eventually going to get there at some stage or the other. But the one that's gone way ahead has been through the challenges that you are currently facing. Or you've been through things with someone who's behind you or is, who's trying to make it up there is facing. So, yeah, I think it's it's important to to learn from each other, to share the sort of obstacles that you've had and the solutions that you've uh, come up to uh, in terms of overcoming that. And uh, it's, like I said, it's, I think, a path not taken too often. And it should, I mean, I think if we are truly want to become a global sporting sort of nation, I think that's something that we would uh, need to do. And I'm not necessarily look within India, look at what an Australia is doing, look at what a UK is doing. And uh, try and replicate those in the Indian context. Obviously, we need to. It needs to be needs driven. If we can't just take a model or a practice that's being done somewhere else and try and do exactly the same thing uh, from A to Z, you would have to adapt it. You'd have to make it suited to your needs. But so yes, I think those are things which are uh, are key to success, and it should happen more. And again, all of this is across every spectrum. Uh, It's not just specific to sport. So we'll start off the power of three round. Three players to watch out in the Indian rugby scene. In the women, it would be Wabi's, Viti Kumari and Aarti Kumari, who's just been a part of the under uh, 18 girls. In the men, the likes of Prince, Neeraj and uh, possibly a, a, a Rajdeep from Bengal. Wonderful. If Nasir were to be a sports minister, three things that he would change. 
there'll be a lot of things that change. <laughs> uh, the three, no, I mean, no disrespect to the sports ministers. Uh, uh, they all uh, mean well. Uh, in terms of things that I would look at changing would be, I think, standardizing the support that's being provided. We're, we're always on this. I mean, it's not going to be a rapid answer. This one's going to be a bit of a, an explanation. We're always uh, a sort of a, a back and forth uh, with the authorities in terms of uh, what comes first. Do you support a program and then you achieve medals or only when you have medals will you support a program? Uh, and that's the sort of ongoing uh, sort of uphill battle that we're having that they say if you are a medal hopeful and if you are in so-and-so category, you will be eligible for support. But if you don't support anybody to get there, you're never going to get there. So I think something like that way, let's let's meet midway is what I would look at. You know, it's not neither here nor there. Let's look at, I mean, there are multiple spots in the country that if, I mean, we're a, a massive uh, nation, there's definitely ways where we can win medals in various other sports if they were given the right sort of support. Yeah, so look at uh, hopefully amending that infrastructure support. I think the biggest challenge for most sports uh, in the country is the lack of infrastructure and facilities to be. And possibly people might not be very happy with me saying this, but there would be is making sporting facilities multi-sport. So right now what happens if there's a facility for cricket, it is only used for cricket, even though it might be just used for a handful of days in a year. The rest of the days is just locked up and kept because no no other sport is allowed to use it. And that's, I think, uh, again, relating back to our previous answer is let's look at the practices of the, the West and uh, the other countries where one sporting facility is used for multi multiple sports. And that is, I think, a, a recipe for success. So, yeah, so open up facilities, let it be used 365 days a year. Let other sports have a go at it as well. So that definitely would be, I think, one step closer to uh, achieving our vision of being a sporting nation. And uh, again, in terms of support, help out uh, other sports. I think work with them as opposed to uh, putting them all aside in another's category. Let's build them and help them to move up to a, a priority or a, a more sort of a progressive uh, category where they will be able to, to, to perform. And that's a wonderful call out. Everybody wins together. We we can't win without them and they can't win without us. So it's let's uh, meet midway and let's see how best we all can win together. Absolutely. The next question uh, on the power of three round, Nazir. If Nazir were to have three things on his bucket list, what would those three things be? Uh, I've actually ticked off a few of them already. Uh, three things that would be probably pending... The big ones that we picked up, skydiving's done, <laughs> uh, which was uh, pretty uh, exciting. If you had the chance to invite anybody, I mean anybody in the world, to have dinner with you, who are those three individuals you would like to have dinner with? Wow. I think uh, uh, Justin Trudeau, Yeah, he's, I think, pretty exceptional, I think, in, in the way uh, he's functioning. So, yeah, he would uh, be one. Would be... Johnny Wilkinson, uh, someone from my sport, and yeah, I mean, has had have had a fantastic sort of uh, playing career, and maybe the sports minister now that is is a new one. It'll be good to have the chat and maybe mention the three things in person to him, Mr. Thakur here, if you're listening. 
or if you plan to listen in the future. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, this is the last of the power of three round. This is the three things that people do not know about Nasir. A lot of people uh, probably wouldn't know. I mean, I'm pretty uh, shy, introvert. Don't really like uh, being in public gatherings or being on stage. And it's quite uh, ironic because my role requires me to be doing all of that. Uh, so yeah, so that's something personally people would not be uh, aware of. I'm probably <laughs> more, more fun than people think. Uh, a lot of people, uh, especially the players and all, uh, think I'm very serious and uh, a lot of them probably are a little sort of uh, would think twice before coming and uh, speaking to me, but encourage them that I am approachable and uh, it, I wouldn't bite. <laughs> okay, that was the power of three round. Well played, Nasir Hussain. Thank you so much for being a sport. Thank you. So moving on, if I were to ask to give me a pie chart of the day in the life of the Rugby India CEO, how would the pie chart look like? Well, nowadays my my day begins with my little one uh, who's uh, just over a year. Yeah, he he's the one who wakes me up. Uh, he's my alarm clock now. <laughs> so yeah, so the mo- the morning bits is uh, is with him. Obviously, you're just one. I'm still half sleepy, but he's full of energy and wants to be playing and doing things. So, so yeah, that uh, is uh, that's what how it starts. And uh, I mean, obviously, there there be there's a to do list always, uh, which one needs to. It, it's a never ending to do list, which you tick things off and things keep getting added on as well. Uh, so yeah, so as you get off the top, the bottom gets filled or double the amount gets filled at the bottom. Uh, so yeah, it's, it's uh, the course of the day would be to try and do as much from that to-do list and make sure not a lot gets added onto it. Uh, so the next day is a bit easier. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's that. It's uh, I mean, especially now in this, uh, in the current scenario, multiple Zoom calls. I think there's been good and bad out of it in terms of uh, the goods been where I think we've uh, realized that we can work remotely. It makes things much easier. Uh, we don't need to be traveling, wasting time, money, uh, and things like that. We could get the job done uh, with just a Zoom call. So, so that's, I think, a positive out of it. But not so positive is to try and be able to maintain a, a, a work-life balance. What's happened is because it's just a Zoom call, a link sent, oh, there's a call at 10 o'clock at night. And it's uh, that's something, I guess, over a period of time, we will try and manage. And, and I'm sure uh, a lot of the listeners listening would probably relate to, to things that is at present. Uh, that is the need of the hour. But I hope we can get back to sort of working hours even with uh, with this hybrid way of working online and offline. So yes, I think uh, those are a couple of things that pretty much and and one doesn't realize. I think 24 hours is not enough in a day. Yeah, we definitely need more. So yeah, so that and I mean the evening I, I try and as much as possible uh, spend with family uh, try and get some sort of Netflix or something or the other or a movie uh, which tends to keep you up till fairly late at night. So, so yeah, so that that's how uh, the day sort of ends. Super. You gave us a recipe for how to work hard and also have things to unwind. 
so that you kind of come back rejuvenated the next day. Yeah, and somewhere in the middle is is trying to uh, get some exercise in. Uh, it's been a challenge, to be fair. Probably, if I'm honest to myself, uh, being lazy is the excuse, and everything else. Uh, I mean, we we need to take our time for it, uh, and I think I need to take our time for it as well. I haven't uh, in the last twelve months, and that needs to change, certainly. And in the role that you are in, uh, Nazir, how do you prepare yourself? for the trends to watch out like you said it's not been an easy last 18 months there are a lot happening so how do you kind of prepare yourself for those kind of changes coming maybe for the rugby world maybe for your organization help us uh, walk through this particular piece uh, i think it's it's not just an individual that would be able to it has to be a collective effort uh, in terms of being or having that foresight uh, and being prepared yeah, i think we're we're pretty lucky to have a the board and a uh, group of directors who are very passionate, who are hands-on on everything that's happening. And they're the ones who actually guide and help drive uh, things in the in the right direction. But yeah, it is, it's about being uh, flexible, being able to adapt. Uh, I think those are important sort of uh, characteristics to have uh, within an organization as opposed to being very rigid and uh, sort of firm in, in the way it functions. Uh, yeah, the, the, I think the organizations that were quick to adapt to uh, the pandemic are the ones that have actually managed to grow. Being, I mean, a simple example was being able to uh, work remotely, do things online, as opposed to having people come in physically into office, and uh, that's the only way of working. So yeah, I think uh, it's it's about that and being uh, aware of what uh, with the year on the ground in terms of what's happening in sporting circles uh, across various sports. I think it's important to to have that sort of uh, year out for uh, what's going on. And more so, uh, what is relevant is you have had all your plans, everything is kind of taking off and then the pandemic arrived. You had to change all of your plans. And the future seems more or less the same. You've got to kind of embrace yourself for the changes that you don't anticipate. Given those kind of situations, how do you plan to manage these color balls? Oh, it's it's hard. It's uh, it hasn't been easy, and uh, I'll be surprised if anyone says they they took it easily and uh, was a smooth sort of a transition. I mean, I think the biggest challenge that we faced is pre-pandemic. Uh, we were at the peak of our sort of participation programs. We had reached out to close to 215,000, 215,000 participants. We were number one in the world in terms of participation reach uh, as for the World Rugby uh, Survey. And then we were hit by the pandemic. And now 18 months down, two years down the line, we don't know if all of those participants are still even uh, engaged with the game. Uh, so for us, it would be to start all over again, uh, reaching out to them to try and re-energize uh, get them excited about the sport again to start off. So that that was one aspect of it. The other was besides this sort of participation reach, we had a lot of teams uh, that were actively playing rugby and now suddenly they were not uh, anymore. And we had to think of ways of how do we keep them engaged. And all of them wanted to be playing uh, the sport again. And they wanted competition. And what uh, the team and I think very uniquely designed was an online competition uh, where that kind of kept them excited. I mean, it wasn't the 
the real deal uh, but there was still competition and they were playing against other teams who they knew but it wasn't real a match but it was an online voting and they were calling people and getting them to vote and family and uh, and that went on for like about uh, a couple of weeks so that was one way of uh, keeping them excited and keeping it relevant uh, to them but yeah i mean there's no substitute for actual play uh, and actual competition and uh, i'm mean, we pretty pleased that we're slowly getting back into it our return to play programs have begun uh, we're hopefully looking at our national level competitions uh, in december so yeah i mean obviously covid not been withstanding but yeah i mean we we were planning uh, and in the middle there was a case of planning and then replanning and then replanning because the restrictions were extended lockdowns were uh, lifted and then uh, reimposed uh, so yeah so it's i mean that that is how it is uh, and there's no running away from it we need to do what needs to be done absolutely so nazir i don't know how time elapsed we are at the end of the conversation couldn't have asked for more insights than coming from somebody who has donned the national colors and sharing his experiences thank you so much for taking time and sharing your perspectives with us before closing if there is an ask from all of my listeners i would like to hear what that ask is and if there is a message along with the ask the message is this show is all about creating ripples of inspiration what is that inspire someone today message to all the listeners to all the listeners i mean i'd just say that uh, follow your dreams uh, your passion it's uh, not going to be an easy journey but it will definitely be satisfying and i can vouch for that uh, myself give it your best shot uh, so that when tomorrow when you look back uh, you don't have regrets that hey i didn't try that i think that that's my message to all the listeners and any ask from the listeners nazir i think give rugby a go not just uh, from a playing point of view uh, watch it it's exciting it's fun uh, i'm sure you will enjoy it and uh, you will be hooked give rugby a go and you will be hooked on that note signing off from inspire someone today thank you nazir so much for taking time and sharing your insights with us thank you shrikan it's a pleasure thank you for listening into today's edition of inspire someone today it's been a privilege to bring in these conversations if you like this episode and have any feedback or comments do mail me at inspire someone today podcast at the rate gmail.com inspiring someone is like creating ripples around us if you like what to listen feel free to share them and let's create ripples of inspiration do not forget to follow me on my instagram handle at the rate inspire someone today podcast for all the latest updates this is shrikant your host signing off and until next time keep inspiring